Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door as we're diving deep into the molecular universe today. Molecular universe, that's what it's called, because it's made of molecules, and molecules are made of atoms, and atoms are made of smaller yet tinier objects called protons, neutrons, electrons, and then protons are made of yet smaller components called quarks. Now the question is, have we reached the bottom with quarks? How are your quarks today, Nick? I think they're doing well. They're not quirky? Their quarks are not quirky? No. Okay, very good. I was just inspired to ask that weird, quirky question about your quarks. Uh, you know, I I remember when I was a student, this is my junior year, I was in uh, Air Force ROTC, and one of my colleagues, who was actually getting his, uh, I think his PhD in physics, he said, we are on the verge of discovering quarks. And I said, what's a quark? <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and it comes from uh, Finnegan's Wake, actually, um, it's a it's a word that was invented by a quirky Irish author, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> so yeah, the the idea of a quark was was a theoretical component, and then they were able to figure out that it really did exist. But they they saw hints of it in collisions of protons at high speeds uh, through these you know the clouds, the cloud chambers where they see the uh, the results of those collisions spinning out and careening and making little patterns through the, the thick mist of those clouds. Anyway, uh, so as I was looking into, you know, these issues of the molecular evidence this week uh, for God in the details, and that's what I'd like to call today's program. God in the details, I think, is a true picture of Romans one twenty that we're seeing today. God is writing the excellence, the genius level work, his handiwork. You might almost think of God as knitting his name in the fabric of nature, not only having writ large across the galaxies, the nebula, you know, the the beautiful star clusters, the globular clusters where tens and hundreds of thousands of stars are pulled together in a tight little knot a little circular, you know, sh- spherical cloud that just are jammed in so tight you can't even imagine what it's like to be on, let's say, a planet hovering near one of those stars. If you looked out at the middle of a star cluster inside a globular cluster, you would see nothing but bright stars everywhere. You wouldn't even see a night sky. It would just be stars and stars and every- everywhere you look. So, so clogging the heavens, it would be quite a quite a scene. So if God has written his name at that level of the the big objects and then down at the middle level of like the structures of a a hummingbird's hummingbird's wing and his proboscis, that's a hyper complex uh, drinking device that enables him to get the nectar out. 
if if the uh, wonders of metamorphosis that enables that uh, butterfly to emerge out of out of the um, you know the raw material of a worm i mean if the wonders of a bat you know the flitting of a bat that we see in the night sky and we just look at it and we just wonder you know this incredible creature of god able to snag all those little insects and and yet uh, he goes and hibernates at night or, or during the day after he finishes his nightly work i mean that mid-level uh is is enough to satisfy us but then god says get ready for the big show and that's where God in the molecular details shows up in a spectacular way. And I was reviewing some of these evidences this week, and I was looking through the classic book by Steve Meyer called Signature in the Cell. And I want to revisit just one spot in that book today because it's worthy of, of being looked at again. It's, it's worthy of the zoom lens just going in, just training its uh, focus on page 307 in this incredible book. It's a breakthrough book of spectacular proportions. Signature in the Cell, subtitled DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design. Stephen C. Meyer is the head of the Center for Science and Culture of the Discovery Institute. He completed his Ph.D. under some of the leading thinkers about the philosophy of science in the world today at Cambridge University. For example, Peter Lipton, who tragically died of a, of a heart attack uh, somewhere near the end of his studies there, uh, is considered the most penetrating and most important pivotal thinker of our time in how science really works, how the theory uh, moves to confirmation. So you don't just have a theory, how you can truly confirm it and how you can just take a data, set of data and compare it with very various possibilities, ways of explaining the data that we have in front of us. And what's remarkable is that this book landed itself on the list of one of the most important books of the year 2010 in not just a Christian, not just a conservative list, but in the very secular Times Literary Supplement, what's called Book of the Year List. And the Book of the Year List uh, features uh, usually and, and traditionally a hundred books that are considered the hundred best books published in the entire world in that previous year. Now, when Steve Meyer's book wound up on that list, it, was, it, it made the list. It, it got the vote. The Darwin industry was aghast. They were not only shocked, they were appalled. They went to, and probably into cardiac arrest. And they immediately got on the phone and began uh, blazing uh, hot emails to the editors of that very important um, literary uh, you know, process, the editors that had made that, that uh, finalizing process that had chosen Steve Meyer's book and said, how could you dare publish uh, this list that had Meyer's book on it? Meyer is one of them. And he's, he's on the side of those of the intelligent design movement. They said, well, we have this you know, most uh, eloquent and glorious endorsement from an atheist professor who just published 
you know, um, a very important essay on this topic. You know, Thomas Nagel is one of the most important philosophers of our day in the area of understanding consciousness. And they said, oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's very profound, you know, answer at that point. And so uh, they were like taken aback and then they started to grumble and and to kind of in their own private or let's say semi-polite ways to uh, tear down the reputation of Nagel, who of course even wrote a book supporting the work of intelligent design, although not agreeing ultimately on the the personal agency of God behind it all. So today I just want to take us back into one powerful spot, and this is where my reading of the book went from great, wonderful, awesome, and I'm just going along, enjoying every single page, just, you know, this is fantastic. And then I got to page 307. And then I looked, I read the description, and I looked at the chart. See the chart here, Nick? Oh, yeah. It it occupies almost the entire page. Wow. Yeah, so the chart on page 307, it almost looks like somebody was laying out some, I don't know, carrots and some mushrooms (laughs) and some, I don't know, peanuts and, you know, some chopped celery. It looks like they're getting ready for having bunny food at at a little reception, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, and so these things up here, maybe those are like the uh, the pieces of bread. You're gonna smear some butter on them. <laughs> <laughs> People are saying, "What are you What are you looking at?" Okay, you just have to buy the book or just, borrow just it. Just believe or, it. Just believe it. And so there there are literally six. Uh, if you look at these vertical lists or these vertical arrangements, um, uh, they're 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 just rows of objects. And so each one of them represents what you need in a cell to make minimal cell function. And so let me just read these lists. Uh, one of them is you need amino acids. Okay, I get it. You need the building blocks of proteins. How many of those do you need? You need 20 of them. Wow. Okay. Well, you need 20 proteins, so that means that every single protein built by that cell um, has to have, for its you know, building process, uh, a plentiful supply of each of those 20 proteins. That's right. Oh, okay. Then you need to have this machine that is the workhorse of the cell. That machine does all the work of the basic assembly of all the proteins, and that's called a ribosome probably the most important machine in nature. It's a beautiful machine. You talk about a beautifully designed machine. It's, it's a marvel of complexity and design. So the ribosome is actually made of two subunits. Huh. So it has kind of a structure that's like a clamshell with, with the left side and the right side. Okay, I get it. Is that all you need? Oh, no. Those two ribosome subunits require an additional 54 proteins to be, wow. to be riveted in and alongside these two big, gigantic, like, like the, you might think of it's like having a building that is made of a left half and a right half. And you and you get the left half in place and there's like maybe 30 feet tall, and 30 feet wide and 15 feet deep. And you put the two halves together, and so your whole building has 30 feet, you know, width and depth and height. You say, good, uh, we got our building. 
And then the engineer comes in and says, oh, no, you're just started. You're nowhere near done. You say, what? Yeah. So those two big units there, that's just, that's just the foundation. Now you need to bolt into place. You'll see those little holes here and there on the walls. Yeah, now you have to bolt in place uh, 54 high-tech protein machines that attach to the basic, basic cover, the wall cover, and do their job. And then they say, oh, by the way, if everything's not there, the building doesn't work, so you can't build it. it. Yeah, all 54 are needed. The two halves, the big clamshells, and the 54 doodads, thingamajigs, gizmos, I'll call them, the 54 gizmos, are needed. Each one of them is a very highly complex folded protein. Wow. Okay, now we're just getting started. Are you ready for the next stage? Okay, you need other proteins that are called initiation, elongation, and termination factors. And that's necessary just for reading the DNA that is there in the cell. Okay, next, next you need histone proteins that are necessary for holding and winding up the proteins and decorating them with markers. Are you ready? Okay, next stage. Now you need the tRNAs. And because there is a codon system, now don't everybody tune out, okay? Stay with me. <laughs> if, if, if you're feeling like you have a headache, come on. Just go ahead and reach for your ibuprofen or aspirin or Tylenol, whichever you prefer. Okay. So <clears throat> tRNAs, which by the way, we're going to offer our friends, the DNA and Beyond people, dnaandbeyond.org, will be offering for sale here in about 30 days a set of tRNAs that go with the DNA model that they produce. Isn't that cool? That is exciting. Oh, I'm so excited to hear what they've come up with. Anyway, so the tRNA is, a, is, a, is literally, it's like a DNA cut in half. It's kind of stripped open like a zipper that you take one side of the zipper and you fold it into kind of a cloverleaf pattern and at one end, it grabs a hold of the amino acid. Okay, it's got a little handle. And on the other end, it sticks out three crucial letters, three key letters. And that three-letter three letter code word is the key code word that links up with the three-letter on the main string of the messenger that's coming in from the nucleus. So the tRNA is like the, the greeting it greets and puts the right amino acid. It shakes hand with the RNA that's coming in from the nucleus. And if the handshake is right, if the three letters match with the other three letters, then it says we're good, and the amino acid is pulled into shape and added to the chain. And the next tRNA comes in, tries to shake hand, and if the handshake is good, it says we're good, and the other amino acid is added to the chain. And the next tRNA comes in, it shakes hand, and it says are we good, we're good, shakes hand, the three letters line up, it pulls the other amino acid in and allows it to link up. Now, you may ask, what happens to the tRNAs? You may ask that to me now. What happens to the tRNAs? Very good. <laughs> they are actually popped out as each of them completes their job the cell says thank you very much and then goes bing and they're popped out of the out of the ribosome and that, that's that's a lot of fun i've been told you know, yeah it's kind of like jumping out of a cannon you know oh, i've experienced it <laughs> okay. trillions of times okay so. very good in your body that is yeah of course okay so so the trnas are great but you need 20 of them because there are 20 different codons and you got um, for, for each one of them for the 20 different amino acids. 
and that's and that's putting it mildly. I mean, I could go into more the more of the complexity, and then the question happens, and this is the trickiest part of all. How in the world do you get the amino acid to link up to the correct tRNA? Now, this is like saying, how do we know that, for example, you know, it's time to put in um, a half a cup of sugar to a recipe? I mean, I need to be told, right? Somebody needs to tell me. Half a cup of sugar. Okay, now I can hear that. My brain processes that. I reach for the sugar. I reach for the half cup measure. I pour the sugar in the half cup. I put it in the bowl. But somebody had to tell me. Now, that works with humans. Since the tRNA doesn't have a mind, you can't tell it, go grab um, the glutamine amino acid. It doesn't have a mind. So how does that specific tRNA with that three-letter code know to grab a hold of this particular amino acid? It doesn't know. So it has to have a great big couch that fits only its shape. And at the other end, the couch has a dimple in it that only fits the amino acid shape. So it has a very complex dimple, a long, weird, elongated dimple that fits its unique shape and and then the, the little extended hand dimple and then at the end of that hand dimple there's a dimple for the amino acid and those dimples fit only exactly and only the shape of that tRNA that transfer RNA and that amino acid and you say you're kidding me nope I'm not kidding you so for each one of the tRNAs you have 20 of these couch type proteins and you want to hear the name they're called amino acyl trna synthetases i'll say it again amino acyl trna synthetases wow i need a i need a, a degree just to say that word yeah uh, that term now you need 20 of those each of the codes the DNA codes to build those proteins, those couch proteins, are so specific, so lengthy, and so complex that a random juggling process would never, in multiple hundreds of billions of years, would never hit on it just by sheer dumb luck. So we see a dramatic, you know, I would say explosion of evidence. God is in the details. God is in the details of a single-celled animal, let alone a magnificent blue whale, a daffodil, a giraffe. Anything that we see that is living uses this same kind of wondrous code at the root, but not just the DNA code and the RNA code and the protein code, any single cell requires ribosomes, those gigantic subunits, the, build, the building. It requires the 54 proteins riveted to various uh, places in those buildings. It needs the 24 amino acids. It needs the 20 tRNAs and then these couches, these masterpieces of design that enables the tRNA 
to link up with its appropriate amino acid, the one that it and it alone should be aligned with and uh, having the special, as it were, ministry to. So we can see over and over that the Creator has left his mark, has indeed left his signature in the cell. And that is the name of Steve Meyer's book, which, again, was a Times Literary Supplement Book of the Year. Uh, it was published just about, uh, just under 10 years ago, and I think we need to have a 10th anniversary party pretty soon to celebrate the event of that major publication. Now, I will add that the second major book, this is about, what, 400 and some, uh, 400 and about 90 pages, uh, 480, not including the the um, appendix. And so when, when Steve Meyer wrote it, it was considered the definitive book showing design from the origin of life, from the origin of the first cell. The next book that came out just uh, two and a half years later was called the Darwin's Doubt Book, and that was the one we said last week, I believe it was last week, Nick, that we said that David Galerner uh, had yeah. greatly been impacted mm-hmm. by reading not only that book, but the discussion of the, uh, the the defense of that book called Debating Darwin's Doubt. And so if you're excited about this area and you want two massive, uh, just powerful sources of information, if you want two vo- volumes that compile just just a miniature library of information, both in the molecular evidence and in the Cambrian fossil explosion evidence, you can't do any better than getting a hold of both Steve Meyer's book, The Signature in the Cell, and Steve Meyer's book, Darwin's Doubt. Now, I'll I'll just alert you to the fact that his newest book is coming out just here in about six months, and it's The Return of the God Hypothesis. It is the same book that has been talked about, I mean, that's been advertised on the Internet, I think, for about a year. I think pre-ordering it is even a possibility. I haven't really tried to do that myself, but I've seen it. I think uh, at least at Amazon, pre-pub orders are possible. He has finished the final draft. He told me that. He is on his way here in less, about, about a month from now, just a little bit, actually, a little bit less than a month from now. And so he'll be our speaker here at uh, Clearwater, Florida, at our annual banquet. Check with us uh, any, any way you want. You can reach us at information at apologetics.org, information at apologetics.org. And we'll be glad to get you information, get you still in on if you want to fly down from the eastern coast, east coast, mid- midwest, west coast, wherever you are, wherever you listen to this podcast or broadcast We'd love to have you here and be a part of that event with Steve Meyer. We have confirmed, by the way, that Casey Leander, a rising star apologist with RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, will be our apologist and MC of the night. Isn't that exciting? Great. Wow. So, yeah, he was a participant in the Austin Think Week and our own uh, Illuminate the Bay here in Tampa Bay is really inspired by, to some extent, inspired by and patterned after the Austin, Texas Think Week, RZIM's Think Week. And Casey, who took part in that, was one of the speakers 
of that told me just on the phone just here the other day. He said, I was so excited with the results of that, and I'm so excited to be a part of our banquet, to be leading it as the MC, and also to be a part of our own Illuminate the Bay. So look for that. Casey Leander and Steve Meyer. It's a twofer. Two for one. Yeah, good okay. deal. Wonderful deal. So it's been a privilege to uh, be able to revisit the God and the details that you find enmeshed throughout, especially, as we said, in this uh, compilation of evidence of what's going on inside a single cell. Thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. See you back here next week. I'm Tom Woodward, your host. God bless you all. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door.